0: King David is a well-known Bible figure, isn't he? Like, yeah, of course he is, Blair, (laughs) right? (laughs) And he's a hero in the faith to many, isn't he? I mean, how many of you think there's like the Bible figure apart from Christ, do you think of the King David? His great faith, his trust in the Lord. And King David is rightfully known for his integral role in the Messianic lineage, and where he played, where Jesus would come as a descendant of David. The King David is also known for his military brilliance, isn't he? How he was a mighty warrior. We know from a young age when he defeated Goliath. His strategy that he uh, uh, came up with to defeat the foreign enemies when he was the commander and a king. His charisma to lead these troops into battle against great odds. In a spiritual realm, he's known as a man after God's own heart, right? Isn't that how we men want to be known? We who are believers, we want to be known as a man after God's own heart. He had a sincere love for God. But we also know a lot about the other side of King David's life, right? We know a lot about his great sin. He, he broke probably every one of the Ten Commandments. Inspired Scripture includes many Could you imagine if your life was recorded like King David's? All the sins that he committed, and they're just there for us to read now thousands of years later. We know, obviously, of his great sin of adultery with Bathsheba. We know the sin of murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. The sin of polygamy and taking multiple wives, sins of pride and lying, anger, fear, etc., etc., are all cataloged there for us, which is a great reminder that though David is in the, in the line, in the family of the Messiah, he is not the Messiah, is he? A great man after the Lord, but also a great sinner in need of grace and mercy, just like you and I. And likewise, in the midst of all of David's glory and guile is also his continual grief. From his first mention in 1 Samuel to the time of his death, David's days are constantly filled with desertion and death, deception, disease, many of the same things that dog you and I. He experienced pain at the hands of the corrupt world around him, at the corrupt people around him, and as a consequence of his own sin. Consider these things that we know from his life. Early on, as he is as he is first introduced to us, he is nearly overlooked when Samuel comes looking for a king. And he's just the young, ruddy, inexperienced shepherd boy. Surely he couldn't be the king. It gets... Worse after that, he then goes into Saul's court and he has this moody boss who's up and down, who's unpredictable, bipolar at times, to the point where he's throwing spears at him one moment and then the next calling for him to come and play music for him. Do you imagine a boss like that? It goes on from there because afterwards then his boss, King Saul, is chasing him, attacking him, always trying to kill him. David in those days knew many sleepless cold nights in the caves of Judea and many hot days in the deserts as well as he was fleeing from King Saul for his life. David knew what it was like to be despised by his wife and rejected for worshiping God. David knew what it was like to be betrayed by friends those people that were one day praising him and following him and the next day cursing him, betraying him and telling his enemies where he was hiding. He lost his best friend Jonathan to strained family relations and then eventually to death. He knew the grief of a son who rebelled against him, trying to take over the throne and coming after his life. David knew the grief of losing an infant son, Shortly after he was born, David knew the grief of having his own daughter molested and raped by another one of his sons, his daughter's brother. He had other sons that were just killed needlessly, no reason whatsoever. And like you and I, David grew old. And he knew what getting old was like. He was always cold, stiff, and aching at the end of his life before he died. And so it's no wonder when we get to Psalm 13 that there's no one life event that's assigned to This psalm like many of the psalms they include a little note at the at the beginning as to when david wrote this the life Circumstance that was happening that he wrote this what came out from his soul as he wrote this psalm But psalm 13 doesn't have that many scholars have attempted to put this into the life of david at different places But the truth is is that the psalm this morning that we are reading that is written by david could have constantly been on david's lips he knew the grief that he expressed in this psalm, time and time and time again." And so this morning, we come to part two in our two-part series on how to endure difficulty. Last week, we looked at Psalm 121, and that initial question that everybody asks when they are in the midst of difficulty is, "What do I do?" And what do we do, church? We lift, we look. And we behold, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go online and watch and listen to that part one. And today we conclude with this second part and this question that we all ask in the midst of difficulty, not just what do I do, but also how long is this going to last? right. We ask this, how long do I need to endure this? And this question, uh, how long, O Lord, is repeated multiple times in the book of Psalms 22. Here's just a few examples that we have from a few other Psalms. Psalm 6 says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? Psalm seventy nine five says, How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Psalm eighty-nine, forty-six says this, How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? And this isn't, this question isn't just unique to the Psalms, it's also uh, throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. The prophet Habakkuk begins his letter crying out to the Lord, how long? How long will this last? The martyrs in Revelation 6 cry out, how long, O Lord? How long? And so this morning, in this text, this question is repeated four times. So much so that Spurgeon, in his commentary, called this psalm the howling psalm. Not in some sort of crass way, but when we are crying out, our cries can become to the Lord like howls. How long? It's a play on words, but also uh, you get the picture here. So David repeated this question, but did he ever find an answer? How long must he experience these things? Did did he ever find an answer? Did God tell him, okay, it's going to be a year? It'll be 83 days and 7 hours, 21 minutes and 43 seconds. Then it'll be all over. And how many times have you asked this question of the Lord? In the midst of your own difficulty, have you asked this of God? I was asking this question myself this week. Malachi was sick for what seemed like days. Throwing up in the middle of the night. I was asking, Lord, how long is this going to happen? So he seemed to throw up every hour. And so what about you? Cried out to the Lord in this way. How long will my son wander from the faith? How long must I endure this unfair treatment? How long will this... Disease ravage my body. How long will the sting of death hurt? How long before the flow of tears? Dry up. How long will the nation I fought for spin out of control? How long will this chaos last? How long will it be before I can go into public without fear? How long will the painful memories haunt me? How long before this business takes off and I don't have to live like this? How long will I get the cold shoulder from that person? How long before my kids aren't so crazy? How long before these aches and pains go away? How long... How long? Can you relate to any of those? And take a moment, write write it down. What's your how long? How long, O Lord, before blank? Let's take a deeper look here into David's pain. Psalm breaks up nice and easy. Three sections, two verses each. The first, here we see David's pain. We can look at his four questions. He says, it, it, it feels like, it sure feels like, I have been forgotten forever. Not just forgotten temporarily. Not just, a oh man, I was overlooked and wasn't invited to this party. But David is, the anguish of his soul, it seems that he has been forgotten forever that he will never be remembered, that his cries will never be heard till his life is over. It sure feels like it. Identify with that. Not only this, but he. It, the second part of verse 2, he, he says, it, it sure feels like I've been righteously rejected. How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you not give attention to me? How long, you know, we might say, will you give me the cold shoulder? Hiding your face, hiding your attention, diverting your eyes that you won't look at me and take notice of me. It sure feels like I'm being rejected. It sure feels like in verse 2 that I've been cast off to cry. How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Being alone, having this sorrow in my heart all the day, unrelenting grief, sadness, sorrow that is spread over everything. Everything is, is just an automatic trigger for the tears, and you feel so alone, cast off to cry by yourself. It gets even worse. He says, How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Because it sure feels like I've been dishonorably defeated. Not only have I been struck down, not only have I been beaten, but now my enemy is gloating over me. Now my enemy is being allowed to prevail and to succeed in life. It's one thing to be knocked down, but then to see my enemy get ahead, that's a whole nother level of grief. How long will this happen? How long must I walk through this life? It sure seems like Forever. Are you sympathetic to these questions? Can you identify with these questions in your own life? How many times have you prayed for through these things? In your own job, in your own relationships? Well, you know who else is sympathetic to these questions? The Lord Jesus. And he was on the cross. What did he cry out to the Father? What did he experience? He said, Lord... Why have you forsaken me, right? Will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face? He knew what it was meant to be rejected. He knew what it was like to be cast off to cry in the garden of Gethsemane in his deepest grief as he was facing his own brutal death, knowing all that was about to happen to him. And those closest to him were asleep over in the garden, not bearing his burdens with him. He knew what it was like to have his enemy exalted over him in his own death as they spit and beat him. They put the crown of thorns upon him. Beloved, we have a sympathetic high priest who knows the cries of our heart. And this is why we can look to him, right? This is why we can behold him. This is why the writer of Hebrews said that we have a sympathetic high priest who has experienced these same trials and temptations that you and I have faced. And of course, in the midst of asking this question, we want the answer, don't we? We don't ask questions that we don't want an answer to. We, we want to know when the pain will stop. We want to know when all this will be over, when things will get better. Because it's when the end is in sight that we can then plan and we can control things and we can prepare for what lies ahead. We, can, we have this mentality that says, you know, what? I can do anything for a year. Or if not a year, I can do anything for a month or a week or at least a day. But if we know how long, then we know what to pack. We know what to prepare. We can get our mind around it. How long that I have to endure this sickness or this, this season in my job or this season in my marriage. And if I just know that a different season is coming, then I can be prepared. And so we ask, well, how long, O oh Lord? Did David get his answer? I read the text for you a minute ago. Did David get his answer? Well, look what he does next in verse 3. David's, in David's pain, David prays. In David's pain, David's praise. Look how he pleads with God. He almost demands an answer. He says, consider me, God. Hey, God, over here, take notice of me. Consider my plight. Consider what is happening here. Notice me, God. Hello, consider me and answer me. I need an explanation. I need some of the details. Please, yeah. Can can you fill me in a little bit? Consider and answer me oh lord my god because you're the one who has the answers you're the one who is controlling this you have the details you know what's going on and you are over you are sovereign over my life and the details of what is happening you are the one who is sovereign over this mess and so i am calling out to you consider and answer me oh lord my god And then he says, enlighten my eyes. This is beautiful here. He's saying, I want to behold. God, I want the answer. But I want to know what you are doing. I want to to learn. I want to see. I want to look to the things that are unseen. I want to keep my head above the waves. David, who, who wrote this psalm, also wrote Psalm 19. That says, your commandment is pure. Enlightening the eyes. And so he's saying, I want to know. I want to know what is happening. I want to see and understand your word more clearly and be renewed Because if you don't I'm gonna die. My enemies are gonna win and my adversaries are gonna gloat You see that Enlighten my eyes or these things are gonna happen I'm gonna die. My enemies are gonna win and my adversaries are gonna gloat and so david is praying here in faith he is at the point in his life where he's saying, Lord, you have to come through or I'm through. I'm done for unless you come through. And so, God, you have to. And so he's praying in faith, a prayer that is strengthening our faith. The situation that is increasing his prayers and growing his faith in God. Saying, God, if you don't open my eyes to what you're doing, then I'm going to fall. You ever prayed like that? God, if you don't come through, then I'm going to die. This disease is going to take me over and my life will be pointless. These evildoers are going to prevail and our country is going to go to naught. These wicked business owners are going to win and my company will be lost. I'm going to drown in these tears if you don't come through. God, I'm going to lose my marriage. I'm going to lose these kids and they will become a terror. So David prays. In the midst of David's pain, David prays. But he also, in verses 5 and 6, David praises. In David's pain, David prays. And David praises. Notice he's still awaiting his answer, isn't he? God has not told him when the earthly relief will come. He hasn't got the answer to his, his uh, uh, the question that he has stated four different times. So where does David turn when he is uncertain? Where does he turn to things when or where does he turn when things in his life are not going according to plan? The uncertainty, he turns to what is certain. And look at what verses 5 and 6 say. Here are certain truths that David turns to. Notice in verse 5, he says, But... And beloved, take notice of the buts of the Bible here. These great transitions when things are not going right and God interjects himself into the situation and everything changes. David is saying, I have all these things going on in my life. I am praying, but here is what I know is absolutely certain. God loves me. God saved me. And God is good to me. Do you see that? But." But I've trusted in your loving kindness, in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Oh, beloved, regardless of all that is happening, all the uncertainties in life, when we don't know how long this is going to happen, we turn to what we do know is sure. And if you are a Christian today, these things are sure. If you are apart from Christ, if you are not following Christ, these things are not sure in your life. Your whole life is uncertain. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Other than if you die, you will be apart from God in hell. But for those who love God and who God loves in return, you know that that is certain. You know that your salvation is certain. You know that God is good to you. These are great words here. It says, I've trusted in your loving kindness. The Hebrew word hased It's really kind of the, the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word agape. We know what agape means, right? That unconditional love. This is a faithful love, a loyal love. Particularly in the Old Testament, it was used of God's covenant faithfulness. His love for his people that would not be broken. God promised, he said, he loved these people, he had chosen them, and they were sure and certain in it. Also this salvation here. But I will rejoice in your salvation. This is this is the gospel, beloved. This is God saving, undeserving, sinful people. And this is something that we can rejoice in. In the New Testament, Jesus, after he'd sent out the disciples to go and do their their work among people, telling people the gospel, healing people of diseases, raising people from the dead, casting out demons and all these things as they come back and they're boasting and all these things and rejoicing. What was Jesus' response to them, even in the good ministry work that they had done? He said, don't boast in those things, but rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And so no matter what's happening, whether you're in a time of of pain or a time of joy, a time of great ministry or a time of real dry seasons, the highest thing that you and I have to praise God for is just our salvation. That God has saved us and made us know him. And this last one here, this last certain truth, this doesn't seem all too certain in the midst of our grief, does it? in the midst of the difficulty as we are enduring it, that we could say that God has dealt bountifully with me? He's dealt me something, that's for sure, but it may not seem like bounty in the midst of it, right? He has dealt me a hand, that's no doubt. But can we really sing this in the midst of grief? Can we really say, like it says in Psalm 119, that you, God, are good and you do good? Consider other instances of this dealing bountifully. Psalm 116 says, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death and my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Psalm 119, 17 and 18, he he cries out, he says, Deal bountifully with your servant that I might live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things. From your law. Psalm 142 same, he says, Bring my soul out of prison, so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Tough prayers to pray, right? Tough things to do in the midst of our grief. But when our eyes are lifted and when we are looking beyond what is surrounding us. Then I think our prayer and our praise can be just this, that, God, you have dealt bountifully even in the midst of this. And in the midst of this answer here, in the midst of this psalm, is actually our answer to our question. How long, O Lord, will this happen is in the psalm here. It's inherent. Do you see it? Do you see the answer to how long? For David says, he turns to these three absolute truths and he says, I will trust, I will rejoice, I will sing. For when we can genuinely sing out to God in our pain, we will know that we will make it through. We know that we will make it through. How many of the great songs that we sing, those great hymns that have lasted from generation to generation. Newer songs that have been written that don't just uh, last a year. Songs like... It is well. And blessed be your name. Songs with great stories behind them. But how many of our great songs were penned with tears streaming down the author's face? Many of them. Ask Toby. He maybe has a count of them. I don't know. But many of our great songs have been written. And so the answer to how long, O Lord is the distance that it takes to get from pain to praise. The answer to how long, O Lord, is however long it takes to get from sorrow to song. That's how long. And the distance is different for every person and in every different situation. The same situation, the same difficulty that is plaguing you, that may be plaguing another person, that distance is different. Because God deals uniquely with each of us. He knows where you are in your sanctification. He has dealt this bountiful hand to you because he loves you. Because he has saved you and is saving you and will save you. And so there's no standard answer. In the midst of your difficulty, don't go to counseling hoping for an answer that says six months. You know, don't go looking to the Bible. That's to, that's going to give you a definite answer. There may be statistics. There may be commonalities. There may be an, an average range. But the distance is different for each of us as God carries us through as he's working in our hearts, feeling the intensity of the grief and the pain and the sorrow and the difficulty and the sleepless nights. And he's taking us, cultivating us as we pray and cry out to him as our dependence is deepening upon the Lord. And he is then bringing us to a place where we say, I trust, I rejoice and I will Sing. That's the answer. That's the unique answer to your situation. It's however long, and you can't shortchange that. You can't you can't try to take any shortcuts or try to uh to to make that distance any smaller. The distance is what it is that God has designed in your best interest, and He's gonna carry you through that. By sticking your head in the sand and by trying to uh, suppress the feelings or trying to run away from it. That will only get you farther away. Because the distance is however long it takes to get our hearts from pain to praise. And that's the unique answer. The ultimate answer is one I think that we all know. The one that we are all too familiar with. And that's the ultimate answer is that how long am I going to endure this? Is Well, until either God calls me home or the rapture happens, right? Because even in the midst of our difficulty, do we ever really get over it? Yes, the intensity may lessen, but it is always going to have an effect upon our soul and how we live our life and how we meet the next situation and how we endure the next difficulty that happens. And so the ultimate answer is that we need to be looking to eternity, the Bible has told us we're not to be uh, uh, surprised by this. We're to expect difficulty in this world. We're to expect personal difficulty, family difficulty, national difficulty. We're not to be surprised about these things. But when we have eternity in view, when we've set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth, when we've prepared our minds for action, being sober in spirit, First Peter says, that we've fixed our hope on the glory that is to be revealed to us, The grace to be revealed to us, I should say, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But when we have this eternity in view, then when our struggling happens, then we are able to lift, we're to look, we're to behold, and we're to see eternity and glory. And that's when we can say, like the Apostle Paul then said later, is that these things are only momentary, and they're light. you, You may come across that in 2 Corinthians 4 and be like, I don't think so, Paul. You don't know my plight. Momentary, this has been going on for decades. And yet, as we put it into perspective, as we elongate our view, even decades, even our lifetime, is just the commercial and the whole show of God's glory, God's redemption. And so turn over to Second Corinthians 4 with me. I want us to look at this want this to open our eyes to add some even more depth to psalm 13 second corinthians 4 it's in your new testament you get to the gospels matthew mark luke and john keep flipping to the right you'll find acts and then romans and first and second corinthians you hit revelation just turn to the left and you'll find it 2 Corinthians 4. Pick it up in verse 7. This is for the context. It says, For we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We're not boasting in ourselves, right? Boasting in God. And then look at the grace here. Even in the midst of these difficulties, saying we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. There's grace in that. Yeah, we're being afflicted, but we're not crushed. We're not decimated into dust. We may be brought low, but we are not crushed to dust. We may be perplexed, confused. We may not know where to go, but we need not despair. There's grace in that. God's grace carrying us through the persecution, but we're not forsaken. We may be persecuted and and ridiculed by men, but we are not forsaken by God. We may be struck down, hit, beaten, but we are not ultimately destroyed. We are not wiped away. We are not uh, overcome. Because there's grace that is carrying us. So he goes on to say these things. But that's the context that, that Paul is writing about these difficulties in life. And so then flip over to verse 16. And this is why he can say, therefore. He's saying all these things. That you are enduring all these things. All this difficulty that is in your life. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Or you do not give up. But though our outer man is decaying. Anybody identify with that? Your outer man decaying? We all are. Everyone should raise their hand. Some of us maybe are more uh, rapidly decaying than others. But we're all decaying. Our flesh is decaying. We have these bodies that have been corrupted by sin. And we live in a corrupt world. And so these things around us and our own body. We're decaying. But he says even in the midst of this. Yet despite that being absolutely true the outer man decay as we may yet our inner man is being renewed day by day so what he's telling us here is that yeah your outer man is feeling but God is doing a work inside of you and this is this renewal needs to happen day by day That's why we always stress as pastors to read your Bible daily, to nourish your inner man daily, to be praying without ceasing because you need that renewal day by day. Because if you don't, your inner man will be decaying as well. And so your inner man, to be renewed, needs to happen day by day. And then he says, because of these things, we don't lose heart. Our outer man's decaying, but we have this hope that our inner man is something is working. Our spiritual life, our soul is still being cultivated. He says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. And so this is the point, the ultimate answer to how long is as we look to eternity, then we can say, even in the perplexities, even in the afflictions, even in the struck down things of life, they're only momentary and they're only light. They don't even tip the scales to what God is producing or preparing in us. And how he is creating us and and sanctifying us to be more like Christ. It's far beyond all comparison. As you put these things on the scale, it doesn't even tip the scale. The weight of glory is much greater than these difficulties. So we don't look to the things that are seen, right? Because if you look to the things that are seen, it's going to seem like forever, doesn't it? as our head is down and as our as our view is limited and all we can see is the pain and the difficulty of this job of this disease of this death of this desertion it seems like it is forever but we don't look to those things we look to the king we look to eternity and as we do that then these things are happening then god's unique answer happens and then we can our our pain then turns praise to praise so in this no know, know this what what Paul is teaching us here what David is is bringing out for us in Psalm 13 is that your surf, your suffering means something your your difficulty is doing something in your life by the grace of God and by the bountiful sovereign good hand of God it is not pointless and it is not worthless but it is producing and you, something beyond comparison. And so what do we do in the midst of this ongoing pain? What do, we, what do we do? Okay, now we have our answer. How do we know what to do? We know what to, how long this is going to last. How do we cover the uncertain distance that we have in the midst of these things? Well, what did David teach us? In David's pain... David prays, and David praises. So we're gonna do that now. We're gonna close like we do each week with prayer and praise, but hopefully with a with a heart that's been cultivated to these truths. Hopefully with a heart that has been uh, lifted up to the great glory of God in the midst of your difficulty. How long, O oh Lord, however long it takes to get your heart from prayer or from pain through prayer to praise. And so would you bow as we do just that? How long, O Lord, is our cry? And we thank you, God, that you have answered us. God, I just pray with my people that are here today, with those that do love you, with those that do find themselves in the midst of difficulty, enduring it day by day, if we, we just collectively give these things to you. How long, O oh Lord, before blank? Oh God, I don't want to be tried. I don't want to be insensitive. There's great grief in these things, and we know that you aren't insensitive. you're working these things out so would you help us to see what you're doing would you help us even in the midst of, of pain and difficulty to be able to sing with a genuine worshipful heart it is well with my soul would that be the song that is on our lips these days God Would this be a song that points us back to the great joy of our salvation? Reminds us of your love for us in the midst of these things. That reminds us of your goodness. Thank you that we have these certain things that you have given us. That you have proved time and time and time again. (sighs) In our life and the lives of saints since the beginning of time. That we fix our hope to you. All our hope is in you. All we have is Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.